is a new stand. Not sure how to use it. Well, seem crooked to you? Oh well. You notice this thing here? Some of you just noticed it now, didn't you? Oh man. Some heavy lifting going on over there. Now how many math wizards can tell me what the parts of this thing are? What's this? Okay, there we go. He means the full name. I just called it a lever, Bob. What's this? There we go. And that down there? It's a big piece of metal from Brennan Pryor. <laughs> Brennan and Caden put this together. Today we're talking levers. And I remember my first experience uh, understanding how, how levers work. Or the first one I remember, that is. Um, I was raised on a farm. You guys know that. I think this next picture demonstrates that fully. Let me go to the next slide. No, you have to go way back. That's way far into my uh, slideshow there, Jack. Just take the, take the mouse at the bottom and just drag it right to the start. There we go. Excellent. Now I'll go to the next slide. Thanks. Proof. Oh, I thought you were saying that I was cute, Cindy. You're right. I'm holding cats. So that was kind of a bit of a gift, you know, like you're going to get an awe from that, right? Oh, there we go. Anyway, there's me on the farm. Uh, my first experience with leverage came once I was picking rocks. Actually, when I was reflecting on this story, I was trying to think of all the facts here. and I doubt if I was actually picking rocks with the neighbor boys because I just can't imagine myself doing that. But I was nearby. And the, these boys from, from uh, the mile over were, were picking rocks. We all were picking rocks in those days. And um, they had this little trailer behind a little tractor, and uh, they were near the border of our property, and I must have gone over there to talk to them. They were my heroes at the time. I was probably 10 or 11. They were like 15, 16, right? And they were picking rocks, and, and they had come across this massive rock that the frost had brought up or whatever. This was northern Alberta. The frost kept bringing things up. Um, anyway, so uh, there's this huge rock. They finally dug around it, and they got it so that they could sort of shift it around but it was impossible for them to lift this thing. They could not, and they strained and strained. There's three brothers, and uh, all years older than me, and they're straining away and sweating and trying to get this rock up onto the trailer. And the trailer was probably, you know, a couple feet high. And they couldn't do it. Like, there was nothing, and, and they worked at it and worked at it and worked at it. And they were just getting to the point where they decided, oh, forget it, we'll go back home and get the, another tractor that has a loader on it or something. When... In the only stroke of genius to hit me in my preteen years. Actually, it was probably the only stroke of genius ever to hit me. I looked at these guys and I said, Hey, what if you unattached the hitch and tilted the trailer up and then we kind of rolled the rock onto the back, just onto the lip of it, and then we pushed the hitch down and, 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 and got the rock on the rest of the way. These boys looked at me like I, I don't know, like I'd come out of nowhere. And, uh, and then they kind of looked back at each other, and they laughed a little bit. And then within minutes, this thing was loaded. It was my first experience with the power of leverage. And also, you know, a little boy kind of feeling like he'd impressed his heroes. Anyway, that was leverage. Levers are amazing, aren't they? Because if, 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 the, if, the, you know, if the lever's long enough, and the fulcrum is, is properly placed, you can lift immense loads, right? Kind of like, like that guy right there. Yeah. And, and uh, <laughs> it, was, it was Archimedes who, who, who gave the, the classic quote, the quote that everyone remembers, right? What did he say? Give me a lever long enough and a, and a, and a, and a fulcrum, a properly placed fulcrum, and I could what? I could move the world, he said. I could move the world. No matter what the load, no matter how significant the challenge, no matter how immense the task, given the right lever and that properly placed fulcrum, and anything will shift. Well, today we stand on the cusp of a new year, and so I want to ask you, here we are at the end of 2014, ready to launch into 2015, what is it that you wish would shift in your life? 
What is it that you wish could change? Something that needs to move. You, you've been wrestling with it for a long time. You've been, you've, been, you've been trying to lift it, you know. And it's not been moving. What is it? Is it an attitude that you've been wrestling with? Is it, is it anger? Is it, is it a deep cynicism where everything you look at, even the idea of looking ahead into 2015 with any sense of resolution, just strikes you with deep cynicism? Right? You don't have to admit it in this public place, but I know some of you. Whether it's a marriage relationship that you feel like, you know, I wish my marriage could be better, or, or maybe it's a lifestyle change, or maybe it's, it's, it's areas in your life you, you'd love to see improve as you, as you consider, um, you know, family life or, or work life or things like that. What is it in your life that you would like to see shift this year? I think it's an important question. Because as you ask that question, as you ask the question, what do I want to see shift, you begin to imagine, well, what would my life be like if it did shift? Like, how would I feel if I actually had a better relationship with my son? Or how would I actually feel if I, if, if, if I was able to, to, to do this thing or, or have a different attitude or, or even break a habit that I've been trying to break? How much different would my life be? That's a powerful question. What would you like to see shifted in your life. I think New Year's uh, time offers a unique time for us to ask those resolution questions. And I know that some of us, even if it's not cynicism, some of us get so discouraged because we think, well, I've made resolutions before and I barely touched any of them. I didn't even think about them about two weeks in. You know, worst time to go to the gym, right? January 1st. The first two weeks of January, gym's just full. But after that, it tapers off. Lots of space in there afterwards, right? Let me ask you, why do most of our resolutions fail? We, we want things to happen. We want things to change. We, we want our attitudes to be different. We want our behavior to be different. We, we'd like to have a, a, a life that makes more sense, but those resolutions often fail. Why do our good intentions often just remain just good intentions? I think, there might be lots of reasons, but... I think one of the reasons is that we lack the strategic lever to shift the load. And though we want the load to shift, we often haven't thought about or figured out, well, what is it going to take to make that happen? Like, what kind of fulcrum needs to be placed in my life? What kind of lever do I need to use in order to shift that load that, let's be honest, is just too big for me to shift on my own? So today I'm going to offer an encouragement, I hope, a challenge to leverage for life change in 2015. To leverage for it. And that's what I want to focus on today. And like Archimedes said, it's really all about the length of the lever and the placement of the fulcrum if you want to see a load shift. So let's work with this image today, okay? We're going to work with the image of our fulcrum being God's Word. And the lever being the ways that we engage God's Word, the practices we have, things we do in order that we, you know, see, hear, know, experience God speaking into our lives through the Bible. And then the load at that end represents the life change. The change in the heart, the change in our mind, the change in our practices that we like to see happen as we leverage on the fulcrum of God's Word. So let's start with the fulcrum first, the Bible itself. We're going to look at just a classic, simple piece of Scripture from 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. If you have a Bible, you can turn to it, but it will be on the screen. This is what the Apostle Paul, he was one of the greatest church planters in the Bible. He also wrote a lot of the New Testament. This is what he said about Scripture. He said, all Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture. And he's referring to the Old Testament. We take it and understand that he, ultimately it refers to all, Old and New Testament. All Scripture is inspired by God. And it's the the idea of God breathing this book. Inspired. You hear the spire in there? That God breathed out this book. And it's one of the reasons why we take the Bible so seriously. 
we, we believe that God breathed this book out and that everyone who takes this book seriously, everyone who takes in the Bible, who, who reads it, who immerses themselves in it, who strives to understand it, because God breathed it, it breathes life into us. We're taking in God's breathed word. And it makes a real difference in our lives. This sits behind everything that we believe about the Bible. It's, it's beauty, it's usefulness, it's importance. We hold all those things because we believe that this is the book that God inspired. And it's why it comes first in our lives and first in our decisions. First in our way of thinking and our way of living. So, all scripture inspired of God. And what's the Bible for? Is it to make us smarter? It might make you smarter, but it's not its primary purpose. Is it to make you better than other people? Is it to give you power so you can be a little more judgmental? No, that is not what the Bible's for. All scripture is inspired by God, and it's, listen to this, useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. I want you to notice how the Bible makes God's will, God's desire for us, very personal. Very personal. First, this God-breathed book teaches us what is true. It clears away what's false. It, it orients our thinking and our living about knowing who God truly is and I believe directly relates to that who we truly are, our identity as people. And as a result of knowing who God is and who we are, then it shapes everything that we do, every way that we interact, every way that we imagine how we're supposed to live and, 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 and move and, and interact in life. The Bible shows us kind of what's up and what's down. You know, we're surrounded by a lot of different voices, a lot of different um, stories that tell us what's true, right? Or are trying to tell us what's true. It comes at us every day. We have um, a lot of different stories, whether it's family stories, uh, stories from our own history, uh, stories of our own you know, mistakes in our own lives. Uh, we, we have images and stories coming to us from advertising, from political parties, from, from just run-of-the-mill conversations, people or organizations or, or cultures trying to tell you who you are. And the only way we can discern what's true and what's false is when we're grounded in God's word about us because he's the one who made us and he's the one who knows who we are. And so it's as we take in God's word that we're able to discern what is really true and what is really false. We're able to look at that, you know, that picture about pure, true beauty or the image that every woman should look like and say, that's a lie. That's not true. We're able to hear someone say, hey, you know, we're supposed to just eat, sleep, work, and then die and say, hmm, that's not true. We're not created for that. We're able to identify and and discern all the different images, all the different stories that we're told that try to define who we are and we can measure it against what the Bible teaches us about who we are. God's word teaches us what is true and it shows us what's false. And, you know, this isn't something that's just sort of theoretical. It's not just about, it certainly shapes our minds and our thinking, but it's something that really affects the way that we live. It's ultra-personal, as I've already said, because the Bible helps us realize what is wrong in our lives. See how it begins with me? It begins right here in my heart and life. It would be easy to read the Bible and begin to simply see what's wrong in everyone else's life. Right? And in fact, sometimes Christians have got a bad reputation because of exactly that. They read the Bible, and instead of asking first, how is this showing me what's wrong in my life, and my heart, they look around and begin to identify people, cultures, uh, incidences, neighbors, 
and say, ah, this helps me understand what's wrong with her or what's wrong with him or what's wrong with that family. And so Christians have often been known as judgmental people because of that kind of behavior. But what we see is the Bible teaches us what's wrong in our lives. It shows me where the Holy Spirit needs to do deep surgery in my heart. Because that's where God's word starts its work, in us. And it humbles us. And and God is full of grace, but there's something revealing about it, where we say, oh, okay, now I understand. And you know how that connects to the question of, what do you want to see shift in your life? You know, what do you want to see change in your life? What attitude, what habit, what way of thinking or way of interacting needs to change in your life? Well, one of the critical ways that the Bible will help with that is by revealing what it is in your heart and in your life that's wrong. And not in a smackdown, awful, shaming kind of way, but in that kind of revelation way where you, you realize, oh, I get it. Now I understand what's been holding me back from the life that God is wanting me to live, the the freedom and the, and the goodness and the experience of, of life that I've been actually longing for, now I can see how I've been tripping myself up or how I've been, I've been not allowing God to work. Because God is showing me through His Word ways that there are things wrong with me. Sin that needs to be dealt with. Uh, attitudes that need to be repented of. Cynicism that needs to go. Whatever it is. God's word starts with us. And, and, and as this verse goes on, we see that God is so committed to our growth, so committed to your transformation, that he gave us his word to be part of our ongoing guidance, our ongoing change. Because the verse, it kind of reads similar to the first part, but it says that the Bible corrects us when we're wrong, and teaches us to do what is right. And there's a sense in this, there's an activeness that as we drink in God's word, as we walk in the the, the paths of God's word, as we let God's word shape us, it's like as we're moving and as we're interacting and as we're you know talking to people at work or as we're speaking to our children or as we're thinking something about someone else, that as we take in God's word, there'll be times when, you know, something happens or something's said or something flits through my mind. And because I've been taking in God's word, it's like God's, God's word enables me to say, oh, I get it. That wasn't right. When I looked at that person and, and judged them, that was wrong. And, and because God's word corrects me when, I, when we're wrong, I'm able to at that point say, oh, God, help me with that. I'm sorry about that. I want to see that person with judgment or with disdain. I want to see them with love and with kindness and with grace, the kind of grace that you show me. So the Bible corrects us when we're wrong as we're following his word in our lives, and it teaches us to do what's right. It's not just about correcting us and stopping us from doing that thing that's hurtful, but it also says, here's how you love. Here's how you serve. Here's how you come alongside people that are frustrating. Here's how you pray for someone that you've been so uh, discouraged by. The Bible teaches us to do what is right. It's active in our transformation. The Holy Spirit uses God's word to show us when we're wrong and to teach us to do what's right. That's that's the fulcrum. That's, That's God's word in our lives. It's practical. It's central. And when it's placed right, loads shift. Lives change. And what's the point of it all? Paul, Paul wraps it up like this. He says, God uses it, God's, God's word, God's scripture. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. See, the change that God is making in your life and in my life isn't just so that you can be a better person. Isn't just so you can experience freedom in life. That's absolutely true and God wants that for you. But do you see how the change that God is making in your life goes beyond yourself? That God has a good work for you to do, for us to do, 
That God wants us to be the kind of people that are revealing His love to others in the way that we interact, in the way that we raise our kids, and in the way that we treat one another, talk about one another, the way that we interact even in a broader, on, a, on a broader level as we talk about you know, other people, other organizations, other churches, other ethnicities. God is doing a work in us so that we become the people who are doing His good work of showing life and love and freedom to the people that we interact with. That's the purpose of the life change that God is working in your life and in my life is so that we can get in on that good work that God is doing. God has called us into this good work business. But He's got to do some work in my life. And He's got to be in an, I've got to be in an ongoing relationship with Him and having God's Word permeate my life so that I don't get off the track, so that I can really be about that stuff. As I let Him work in my life, He works through me in the lives of others. But I want us to get practical. That's the fulcrum. That's, that's the focus on God's Word. But Because most of us would say, we believe God's Word is important. Or at least... As, if you're a Jesus follower today and, and you're here and you, I, you know, I follow Jesus, I believe in Jesus, most people would say, I believe the Bible's important. Um, most would say, uh, even things like, I know I need to read the Bible more, or I know I need to engage it more. The reality is, most of us don't. And I don't say that as no kind of guilt. I know what it's like to struggle with just finding the time or reminding myself of the time to just do simple Bible reading. I get it. So there's no guilt here at all. No shame at all. But the reality is we have to talk practically. We need to have some kind of a plan or to use the metaphor, we need to talk about the lever. We've got to talk about this thing that enables us to lift the load. Because until we talk about this, um, we, can, we can talk about the load wanting to shift and we can even talk about the importance of God's word in our lives, but very little will change until we talk about the ways that we engage God's word. So uh, I'd like to talk about that. Um, there's a, a Bible engagement study that came out uh, last year looking at Canadians and the way that Canadians in general and then Canadian Christians in particular view and engage in the Bible. And I, I'm not going to read through this, but you can find it online. Uh, but if you just Google Bible engagement, Canadian Bible engagement study, you can find it. But only one in seven Canadian Christians, it's about 14%, read the Bible at least once a week. Pretty small number. Again, not, not to feel guilty, because let's be honest, some of us, we, we just have to identify with that question you want to ask is, how can we change that? How can we move that? Only one in four Christians strongly agree that the Bible is relevant to their lives. When we think about the life change that we want to make, we first have to even believe that the Bible is important to that life change, significant to that. Only one in ten Canadians, two in ten Christians, reflect on the meaning of of the Bible in their lives at least a few Times a week, so uh, that would be you know twenty percent of Christians would would have some time weekly, at least a few times a week, to reflect on the relevance or the significance of, of God's word in their lives. So, talking about practices, talking about whoops, talking about how we're going to do that is is really important because until we admit that we need help in that, uh, we may express a lot of good intentions about God's word in our lives, but we may not experience and change in our lives. So what I want to do today, uh, briefly, is just highlight five practices that can sort of fit on the, on, on the lever here. Five practices that will help you and I engage God's Word more and see life change come. Now, these practices are not new at all. And I know that some of us will even hear them and think, well, I know that. That's right. We do. It's just kind of like eating right and going, you know, exercising more. We all kind of know it. It's a question of, are we going to be able to do it? Are we going to be able to place it in our lives? 
But first let's talk about some of the practices that I believe will leverage life change. They've stood the test of time. This is for beginners. This is for mature Christians. These people have been doing this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years um, as they've engaged uh, the Bible. The first one is very simple. It's reading the Bible regularly. And that's probably the most obvious one. It's also probably the backbone to everything. It's also probably the thing that we struggle with the most. That most of us, if we were to be honest, we say, I want to read the Bible regularly, but in, in reality, the weeks get busy, the day flies past, and the Bible just sits there. And, and I understand that. And so we have to think, here we are at the end of 2014, we have to think, well, what would I like to do different in 2015 so that that's not the case? The crazy thing is, to read the Bible regularly, there are so many plans and helps out there, it's actually overwhelming. There's so much help for you. But the upside to that is, you can kind of wade in and pick a few things. So I want to highlight a couple things for you. One of them we've highlighted before, and we have a few for sale. This one is, for example, is the one-year Bible. Now, how many of you have used this before? few of you. It simply takes the Bible and breaks it down into 365 daily readings. The standard one-year Bible uses a portion from the Old Testament, that's the first part of the Bible, and a portion from the New Testament, that's from Jesus and onward, and then it'll take a a psalm and a a proverb, and it, it, it breaks it down, and you can do it in about 15 minutes a day. For those of you who are more um, technified, on your iPad, you can download the Uversion app. It's absolutely brilliant. It's what I've been using. The Uversion app is free, created. It's the most popular Bible app out of there, and believe it or not, not, created by a covenant church in the States. Uh, Millions of people are using it. And it has an overwhelming amount of Bible plans. I'll give you that. But it has the one-year Bible. It also has some beginner like plans. Like I just like to, to initiate with maybe an maybe introduction to the Bible. There's a whole bunch of plans out there uh, in, this, in this app. But um, certainly the one-year Bible app, which I've been using this year, has been excellent. And you just can go through it. It, it charts it for you. It, it reminds you when you get behind. Things like that are really, really helpful. And again, it's, it's free. So if you already have paid Moolah for the device, then you get the app for free. The other one is, is really simple. It's just those of you, some of you use the daily uh, bread, our daily bread. And these are our, our, our free publications. But in, in the daily bread, every day there's a little, uh, little devotional thought, a little one-pager. But beside it, there's a little box that has the Bible in one year. And it has just the readings that you would do that day so that you could get through the Bible in a year. Now, I, I say all these three things emphasizing the Bible in a year, but that's not really the point. That's a great way of engaging Scripture. The point is more deciding that I want to read consistently. I want to read a daily as ideal, but maybe you're going to say, for this, for this new year, this whole Bible thing is brand new to me, I'm going to read three times a week. Starting small is a great way of starting. Sometimes we all start too big, right? We, we, we set really high goals and then we fail in the first week. We get discouraged and we stop. It's better to start small and then increase as we go into it. So the, the, the point of this is, are we going to be able to read regularly? You need to find a place to do that. I, I have a place on my counter. I, I read my, my daily Bible reading during when I'm having breakfast and coffee. And it looks out at the skimmer horn, and it's amazing, right? That's my, that's my place. That's where I do my Bible reading every morning. And it, a consistent time and a consistent place is really important. Uh, minimal distractions is, is important if you, can, if you can do that. And some of you, um, I know, struggle with reading. Like, reading's a harder thing for you. Um, the amazing thing about if you have a computer or if you have an app, but also you can purchase these things, is there's lots of audio options, where you can listen to the Bible being read to you. And for some of you, that is just a, that would be a huge advantage to be able to have someone read the Bible to you. And uh, so I, I want to encourage you to decide how you would like to read regularly this year. Even just a few minutes a day. But 15, in 15 you can get through a Bible in a year. 15 minutes 
can, you'll be so surprised as you get through it how much Bible you can read and reflect on with 15 minutes a day. But maybe 15 feels like too much to you. Maybe five. Five is great. Taking five minutes a day to read and a moment or two to reflect would be super helpful. So that's the decision I want to challenge you to make today. I want to challenge you to think that through and say, how could I read the Bible regularly this year? What would I need to do? Do I buy a CD, uh, audio Bible on CD, and listen to it as I drive to work? That's a great option. Um, do, do I turn it on uh, in the morning and, and listen to it while I'm, you know, uh, having my breakfast, or, or am I going to listen to it while I'm doing dishes, or you know, wh- whatever that might be, or maybe you're at home with little kids and you can just play it. I'm going through all the audio options at this point, but those are great options for us to regularly read and engage God's Word. I also encourage you to talk to each other about it, to maybe say, hey, I'd, I'd love to read through the Bible this year, or I'd love to, to, to have a regular reading time. Would, what, are, what are you thinking about that? Could we encourage each other? Could we challenge each other in that? That's a, that's a great option. So, read regularly. That's kind of the backbone. The second one is to memorize some key verses. I know some of you are thinking, I don't have a good memory. I can't memorize anything. Um, other people memorize, but I can't. Here's the amazing thing about Bible memory. Bible memory work. Writing down a, a verse, a favorite verse or or, or maybe a verse that relates to a struggle you've been having. Like say, maybe, maybe you've been having a problem with anger, and so you're, reading a, 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 you're writing out some verses that relate to anger or relate to self-control. Or, or, or maybe, maybe you've really been um, wrestling with um, work, and, and so looking at some of the Proverbs on work and memorizing those. The amazing thing about Bible memory work is it's the work of memorizing. It's the work of chewing it over. It's, it's, the, it's the act of taking it in and, and, and kind of ruminating on it that the real benefit comes. In the end, the fact that you can recite it is great. But I want to argue that the real benefit comes in just the action itself. So don't be discouraged if you're, you feel like your memory is a little dull. That's okay. Write out some of those favorite verses. Maybe you decide for 2015, you just want to memorize one verse a month, which I guarantee you every single one of you could do that. One verse a month. By the end of the year, you have 12 of your favorite Bible verses memorized or 12 Bible verses that relate to a struggle you've been having memorized. But what's more, more significant is that you've been putting God's word into your heart and it's shaping you. Jesus used Bible that he had memorized to combat Satan in his greatest hour of temptation. And we'll find that as we put God's word into our lives, we will be able to not only combat temptation, but be able to maybe, uh, again, identify what's false and what's true, and we'll to encourage ourselves and others with God's word as we put it into our hearts and into our lives. So I encourage you, to pick a few verses. One of the ways you can do that with your regular reading is you can decide as you're reading along, um, there might be a verse that really stands out to you or a verse that really challenges you that you stop there and you, you camp there for a while and you pick that verse and you, you write it out or you type it out or whatever, whatever you need to do and you memorize it. The, the, one, the paper version of the one-year Bible actually has every, every daily reading, they have one verse they suggest even that's bolded for you as a potential memory verse. It's just, again, a help for you. So, read regularly, memorize key verses. The next one is to journal responsibly. And I know that uh, for some of you, you love to write, and others of us, we've forgotten how to write completely. And uh, the idea of journaling gives us hives. I get it. You might, you might want to skip this one. But for others, just jotting down a thought or a short prayer, some kind of response, the the thing that stuck out to you, uh, is very significant at solidifying what it is that God revealed to you, or what it is, what area of your life he he was talking to you about, or what truth he was showing to you, to be able to identify that. And you can be super brief. You can just jot it down in point form. It's, it's not, it doesn't need to be poetry. No one else needs to read this. You know, you know what I'm saying? You don't need to feel any kind of obligation around that. You just 
to, to jot down a simple thought or a simple prayer or an idea or a question that came to you out of your Bible reading, out of your Bible reflection. That's a very, very powerful tool that Christians have used for centuries to help solidify. And here's the amazing thing about journaling is as you do that over time, you begin to be able to look back at the things that God has been teaching you, things that God has been showing you through his word. And it actually can be very revealing. You can say, look at this. All through the month of February, God was trying to encourage me not to give up. That kind of thing. And you can begin to reflect on patterns or things that have emerged or things you've been struggling with by simply jotting down what you've been hearing from God through your reading. So you can journal on a three-by-five card. You can journal on the computer. You can journal on the back of a napkin. It doesn't matter. But to somehow capture what God is saying by putting it down uh, in in some way. The fourth practice that I think is crucial is that we engage the Bible in community. That we don't leave the Bible as a solo, solitary thing where you just read the Bible on your own and memorize on your own and journal on your own and that's it. It's actually critical that we talk to each other about what we're learning from the Bible, that we talk to each other about Scripture. That report that I I mentioned to you, um, the Bible Engagement Report, they actually identified three factors that affect uh, Bible reading frequency and Bible engagement. It was confidence in God's Word, conversations had about the Bible, and the community that you engage the Bible in. Notice that two out of the three of those have to do with not an individual solitary practice, but rather how much we engage with each other around the Bible. It's very, very critical. There's a lot of different ways to do this. I think the best way to do it is just start. Like start today kind of thing. And talk to each other about Scripture. Ask people, what are you learning? Not in an intimidating way. You don't want to make people feel bad or feel caught off guard. You might want to start with someone you know uh, won't feel intimidated by that question. But to have the kind of conversation of, what are you learning? This is what I've been hearing. What do you think? Approaching that humbly and with, with grace and with, and with openness, discussing it with each other. And then, uh, so having that as part of our regular life and talking about it over coffee. But probably the most important thing, and this gets down to the regularity thing, is, is that we would commit to walk with a smaller group of people as we study the Bible together, as we figure out what God is speaking to us about. And that would be by joining a small group. And in January, you'll have the opportunity to do that if you're part of the Erickson Covenant Church, um, opportunity to join in on a small group um, that's not meant to be big, heavy, you know, uh, big heavy Bible study as much as it meant to be a community of people that journey together, uh, letting God's word speak into our lives, praying for one another, listening to one another, having a lot of fun eating together, but forming a kind of regular connection with people and asking, how is God speaking to us and how, how is God shaping us? So engage the Bible in community is absolutely crucial. And then the fifth practice that I'd want to add to the the lever, is that we would deepen our biblical understanding. Now, all of these things will do that, but I, I want to ask, you know, depending on where you're at, kind of in your faith journey and how new you are to the Bible, and some of us, we, we've come to a place in our, in our lives where maybe the Bible has become kind of boring to us. I, it might be weird for you to hear a pastor say that, but I do know what it's like for the Bible to be boring, where it just feels... Ugh. I've been there, done that, heard this before. And it might mean that you need to switch it up a bit. You need to try a new translation. You need to, you need to, to read a, a book that will help you understand more deeply the culture of, of, of Jesus' day or, or something that's going to drive and deepen your understanding. It's going to bring another, another voice or another way of seeing into your life. And so for some of you, that might be, you might say, I, I do regular Bible reading and I... And, I, you know, some of these things are already in my life, but I, I really want to amp it up. You know, I want to I infuse um, my, my life and my, my journey in, in the Scripture with, with more, with, I guess, just more um, sense of, of, of life and renewal in that. And so you might want to say, you know, is there, is there a, a, a commentary or a Bible, depending on how far you are and how familiar you are with the Bible, is there some beginner stuff? You know, back there on the, on the book, 
It's that are for sale. There's a, there's a book there, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. Super helpful. There's another one that's even more of a beginner book. It's produced by Alpha. It's called 30 Days, an inter, a Practical inter, Introduction to Reading the Bible. Great place to start. Some of you uh, maybe are further on than that, and uh, you'd want to you know, find a, a, a book that's written about the honor-shame culture of the Bible or, or understanding how the whole Bible fits together as, as one big narrative. I don't know what it is, but I have found in my life that that has brought a lot of renewal and excitement back into my Bible reading Bible study because it's kind of broken me through some of the, some of the same old, same old. Uh, one of the things we're going to offer on January 11th uh, here at the church um, before the service at 9 a.m., I'm going to offer a, a, a Bible for, for newbies. And when I was talking to George Golder, we, we were, kept referring to it as the Bible for dummies, but somehow thought maybe we should say Bible for newbies instead. Uh, George and I are going to be there. Uh, if you uh, would like to join in on that, it, it really is for newbies, though. So, it, it, you know, we're going to be talking about some basic stuff, overview, how the Bible works. Uh, these are for people... Uh, if you identify as saying, you know, I just found out last week that there was an Old and New Testament. Or I, I uh, you know, I, I'm kind of familiar with the basic outline, but I really don't understand how it fits together. If, if you find yourself in that place, uh, we're going to meet on January 11th for about an hour before the service from 9 to about 10. And we're just going to talk about, about the Bible. And uh, I'm going to offer a little bit of... I think helpful stuff for how to get into the Bible and how to sort of see the whole picture so that when you're kind of getting to some of the so individual parts that you kind of get how it's tied together. So I'm going to offer that. And it's going to be very conversational. I'll kind of, kind of go with whoever comes. But I'd like to know if you're going to come. So please sign up on the RSVP sheet because um, then I'll uh, be better prepared depending on, on who's coming. So there, there's just one idea um, that we want to off, offer. Uh, these are practices that can become the lever in our lives. That when they're placed on God's word, they help us engage God's word. And as a result, we see real life change. And so these practices, if you only ever utilize one practice, that's awesome. But I want to argue that just like the length of the lever, the more ways that we engage scripture, in other words, the longer the lever is, and there's a lot of different ways, you understand. I just highlighted five very basic ones. There's everything from rewriting psalms in your own language. Uh, well, own language. <laughs> Personalizing it is what I meant. But if you want to write it in your own language, you can. Um, there's, there's um, you know, different ways of praying through Scripture. There's, there's just a lot of different ways. The longer this lever is, I believe, the more life change you'll experience. Because every practice on this lever represents a different way that God's word is engaging your heart and your mind and your life. And that's what we want to see happen. So I want to wrap up with just a couple responsive questions. And I don't know, you can write, if you, if you want to write some of these down, do that. But this is designed, these questions are just designed to help you reflect as you think about the fulcrum of God's word um, the lever uh, of, of these different practices and, and the weight of the load that you want to shift in your life. So let me just ask a few questions as we finish today. Have you been trying to leverage change in your life based on other kinds of fulcrums? Maybe it's a fulcrum from a self-help guru or maybe it's a fulcrum of just your own your own uh, tenacity. What other fulcrums have you been trying to use to make changes in your life? Part of the challenge of today's message is that we need to increase our confidence in the power of God's word as the fulcrum in your life. And so the question is, how confident are you? Do you have a confidence problem? Because if you have a confidence problem in God's word, you're never going to engage God's word in a way that will bring life change. Now, it might come that as you engage God's word and as you see the significance of God's word in your life, your confidence will increase. I think that can be true. But it'd be helpful to identify, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, if you 
say, I, I believe in Jesus, but I lack confidence in God's word, I challenge you to address that question. To figure out what is it that's hanging you up. Uh, what, is, it, is it that you think there's irreconcilable contradictions? Is it, is it that you, you just find it confusing? Like, what is it that's undermining your confidence in the fulcrum of God's word and, and deal with that? And then ask yourself, are you willing in 2015 to grant the fulcrum of God's word a priority of place, not just in your life in a general sense, but in your daily life, in your daily schedule? Would you schedule that in kind of the way you do food and drink? Because that's exactly what it is. Would you make that a priority? How about the lever? I want you to answer the question, I hope, before today's done. What's your plan for Bible engagement this year? Like, what are you going to do? And like I said earlier, it can be really, really small. There's no judgment there at all. You can say, man, I'm going to read three verses a day. That's it. And do it. Uh, I, I dare you. It's kind of like the Lay's chips. I dare you to try only one. You know, Go ahead. Start with just a little bit. And see the difference that that will make. But what's your plan going to be? And more importantly, how are you going to do that plan? Are you going to buy a one-year Bible? Are you going to download the app? Are you going to set aside this time? Are you, are, are you going to buy the audio? What are you going to do? What plan are you going to put in place practically? Make that decision today. And then this week, set it in action. Buy the book, download the app, do whatever you need to do so that you can start, I would argue, January 1st. Ask yourself if there's something you need to switch. For those of you who have been engaging Scripture more, is there something that you need to try different this year? Something creative? Do you need to change translations of the Bible? That can be incredible, especially if you've been reading the same translation for a lot of years. I would strongly urge you to switch. There's no sacred translation. You know that, right? There's better ones. And there's worse ones. But we live in a time, especially as an English speaker, where we have so many amazing and good translations. So switch it up. And you'll hear things differently. And you'll see things differently. Switch it up in some way. Uh, and, and so I guess the question to ask yourself is, what ways am I going to change things or add variety or increase the level of my engagement in Scripture this year? Am I even willing to try some new things? And then the last thing, of course, is the weight of the load. Everything that God wants to do in your life is designed to increase the level of grace and freedom and love, beauty, kindness, and goodness in your life. That's what God wants for you. This life change that you desire, this preferred future, the things that you know if that could shift in your life, everything else would be different. That's what God wants to do. And it's not like as we read God's word, there's just a magical change that happens. But what we find is that as we engage God's word, he begins to change the whole way that we are and the way that we respond and the way that we think. And he changes the way that we love and and the way that we respond. And as a result our lives begin to shift and change as we begin to shift and change. So what is it in your life this year that really needs to shift? Is it your marriage? Is it your attitude toward your work? Is it your attitude toward your kids? What is it? Is it a, is it a habit, an addiction? Something that you just... You want to stop, and yet you just haven't been able to? What is it? It's probably the most important question for you to answer today. What is it in your life that you would love to see shift, and that you want to come to God and say, God, I want to see this shift? And from what we've heard today, believe that critical to that change happening in your life and in my life is the placement of God's word in the center with a big long lever to make the change on. God wants to see dramatic change in your life this year. It might not be a change that anyone else 
uh, immediately recognizes. It might not even be a change that you know, fundamentally alters everything, but the kind of deep change that God wants to make in your life is the kind that will bring increased freedom and grace and life to you and, I believe, all those around you. But it starts here. So are you willing to make that change? Let's pray. God, I believe you have a huge vision for us as your people and as your church. That you want to speak into our lives. You want to make changes in our hearts and in our behavior, in our attitudes. You want husbands loving wives and wives loving husbands and families being united and in, in, a, in a spirit of kindness and gentleness with a vision of what you have for them. You, you want us to be people who, who actually work each day pleasing you with attitudes of service, attitudes of, of, of grace in all the people that we engage with. You, you want to see us as people who have hearts and minds shaped by you and your desire for the world. And Jesus, we need you to speak into our lives. And so I pray very specifically today that you would help each one of us place the fulcrum of your word right at the center and, and then engage your word through practices that make sense and practices that help us. I pray that each one of us would be able to identify today the practical step we need to take to engage your scripture, your God-breathed word, so that we see life change in 2015. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for speaking into our lives. Thank you for caring enough. And I ask very simply that 2015 would be an amazing year of life change because we're hearing you speak into our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.